0: Hey, happy Saturday. Welcome to night school. You know, I've talked a little bit on here before, probably a lot actually, but I've talked on here nonetheless about at some point social media and the internet in general got away from chronological listing where it got into this idea of sorting things based on what's considered the top, what's popular, what's relevant. Not even just what is statistically the most viewed, the most comment, commented upon, the most liked. It's not even necessarily based on that, but they, it's, it's these supernatural algorithms they develop. They sort things for you in a non-chronological way, or at least a way that isn't necessarily chronological. And if, if that's how the internet always was, it would make more sense, In the early days of the internet, if people just, because it was a little more wild, because there weren't really objective, common standards established, if if content had appeared non-chronologically, I could understand if that kind of laid a foundation where they continued to ignore it or continued to come up with alternate ways to present information to list or sort content. I could understand that. But that's not the case at all. The internet was highly chronological the origins of the internet everything was very chronological and the earlier forms you know proto social media like forums 100% chronological what you were see- what you were seeing was the latest thing posted or the latest thing that had had some sort of response like a thread would be bumped to the top if it had a new reply for example but it was true for even you know early social media like these journaling sites live journal was one of them it was all strictly chronological and so this was a change this wasn't something that just developed because people didn't care about a linear timeline this is something that many major companies deliberately did and interestingly they all did it around the same period you know and i'm not going to say that's a conspiracy necessarily some of it might have been you know monkey see monkey do where Facebook saw that Twitter, you know, or Instagram, like, one, these different sites may have seen what the other ones were doing. I mean, some of them got bought out by each other, too, so it's hard to even separate them entirely. But it just it's it's interesting to me, though, that they all kind of took this approach, and we can see where hellish abyss websites like Reddit have taken this to a new extreme, where the way things are categorized is based on popularity but it's some sort of ratio between popularity and hate because you can choose whether to, you know, like something or dislike it. But the result is very chaotic. It's very difficult, but you can, you know, I've, I've checked that site out and you can sort things, but even their sorting mechanisms don't completely make sense. You can't ever get a strictly chronological view. And so that's the other part of it that I've talked about before where it's not just that they made a non-chronological view a non-chronological sorting mechanism it's not that they just they made the, they made that the, the default for one but it's not just that it's also that they've made it extremely difficult to view things any other way and and they've made it specifically difficult to view things in a very simple easy chronological sense and you know I'm not some I'm not some programmer you know, I'm not, I'm not a computer programmer. I do know a little bit of code. I've done, I've designed websites. I know, you know, HTML, CSS, a few other things that I've played around with. I know content management systems as well. And, you know, the natural way, I mean, you know, making things strictly chronological is the easiest thing to do. It's the easiest approach to take in code. I know that much. So this actually took some effort, and not just effort, it took decision making. They decided that the internet was going to be less chronological, and there are all sorts of explanations for that, but none of them have completely satisfied me. You know, and the one that I think most people would push as their main reason is to give you a more personalized experience, or a more dynamic experience. But I think there's more to it, and I wouldn't be able to comment on it without knowing what sort of meetings took place and what sort of points these companies made when they they went this direction. But it's very strange. But it coincides with a lot of other things, too. And, you know, I think people these days are having a harder and harder time with time, having a hard time with time. You know, of course, the whole coronavirus, just everything in the last year and a half has given people... A very strange perception of how time moves. And for me, it's moving fast. But that's just as you get older, you realize time does move substantially faster. Your life is less broken up by definitive milestones. Like you think about when you're growing up and every single year, you're in a new grade. So the the school year ends, the next school year starts, you have these milestones you're hitting. Even other things, like getting, you're turning 16 and now you can, you know, drive a car. You turned 18, now you're an adult. So you have all of these milestones. And then after 21, there are far fewer milestones, especially if you're not having kids, if you're not doing the normal human adult, you know, life path. Like, (laughs) You know, there are far fewer milestones. So that's happening too. You know, as people get older, time goes quicker. But it's not just that time is going quicker. I feel like people are having a harder and harder time with time. That's just, that's going to be the name of this episode. A hard time with time. And I've mentioned many times, can't, can't even avoid the word time. Time, times. I never thought about it that much. It takes talking about time to realize how much you talk about time. This is just a really, this is a really silly episode. But, um, you know, I, I keep talking about how it seems like people's brains reset more often now. Like I use 2016 as a big reset, where it seemed like people's brains reset either in late 2016 or early 2017. And it revolved around Trumpsfeld. You know, sometimes you can associate it with a certain event. We're talking to a lot of people, they don't seem to remember everything building up to 2016. They don't seem to remember really much at all, like at least nuance wise. Like they could probably tell you about life events, they could probably tell you about big events that were in the news, but it seems like they've lost all of the details. And that'd be one thing if we were talking about 20 years ago, but it seemed to happen almost immediately. And a lot of the things that people were complaining about from that point on seemed to be coming from this place as if they they were brand new. As if everything, all of the, the wrongs in the world, everything that was disturbing them had just shot out of the ground at the end of 2016. But I've noticed this again and again, and I feel like it's happened several times during coronavirus. It seems like One, the start of coronavirus, March 2020, you know, the start of the lockdowns and all that, that seems to have been one of these resets where a lot of people can't, they don't, they, for one, don't really talk much about that period and don't seem to really have a sense for it either. Considering it wasn't that long ago, it's strange, but it does feel like another one of these resets, and I've started to feel that recently as well where it seems like there have been at least a couple of these resets in the last year and a half, which makes sense because people's sense of time is slipping. There's such an overload. Because here's the thing I've realized, too, about the politicization and the madness, the collective psychosis, is that people were kind of weaning themselves off the news. Even normal people were watching less news, less corporate news. But when Coronavi came out... Tons of people who wouldn't otherwise obsessively watch the news were suddenly stuck at home watching the news because they wanted their Coronavi update. I got to see what's going on with the Coronavi. So a lot of people were focused on that. It wasn't that they were, they were watching the news to necessarily hear about every single political, social issue, every crime going on. You know, It's not even that they were looking for that, but because they were so obsessed with the news again, because they had a reason to watch the news, to hear about coronavirus, suddenly they were getting all of that other information as well. And so people were just in a a vacuum. It's as if time didn't exist for some people for a while. And then on top of that, a lot of the content they're getting on the internet is given to them non-chronologically. Like, yeah, even if it's it's, it's still like the general, it's like stuff that was going on today. It's stuff that has been going on recently. It's not like I'm saying the internet takes information from the last 10 years and gives it to you all at once, although it can. It's all stuff that's like generally relevant, but you never know exactly why you're seeing something. You never know entirely what the order is. And that does something to someone's brain. You know, it does something to someone's perception of the world when they're not viewing information chronologically. And then when events are happening in their real life that skew their sense of time or slow time down or make time just different, let's just say that, it makes time different. You know, when that's happening in somebody's reality and a lot of the information they're viewing is not strictly ordered. It's it's not it's not it's not strictly chronologically ordered. That changes your entire perception. And I believe that's happened. You know, I made a point on here where I said some people think that NASA is space. There are people who have a very difficult time separating the idea of space from NASA, because NASA has given us our most intimate view of space. NASA has given us information, oh, names of stars, can you name all the stars? NASA gives us all these cool names of stars that we can't even see in the sky, it tells us everything we ever needed to know about the gaseous makeup of a planet that we'll never go to. It gives us incredible, beautiful photographs. And because our access to space is through the lens of NASA, we have a tendency, though, to forget that space is not NASA. And yeah, I don't think there, there aren't a whole lot of alternatives for having that intimate view, that deeper knowledge of what's going on up there. You know, NASA gives us that as few, if any, institutions could, not that they couldn't exist, you know, I mean, we can see where uh, Elon Elon Musk has done quite an incredible job building his own little NASA, which is also a car company or something, or they're all connected, I don't, I don't even know, I don't follow him closely, I think what he's doing is very interesting, though, I just don't really follow it, it's not my thing, but I think just having, like, this eccentric... I don't know. Is he a billionaire? He's a billionaire. He's not a billionaire. He's a, he's a billionaire. But no, having an eccentric billionaire sending things to space, you know, I think that's a very interesting thing because it shows you that we might not need a government institution like NASA, which just emphasize, it emphasizes my point that even though we access space on a deeper level through NASA, We don't necessarily need them, and it's important to remember that they themselves are not space. They become the brand name of space, but they themselves are not space, and people are sensitive about that, and I'm not joking. People are sensitive about NASA. A girl that I was going out with for a little while, just going on dates, it was very casual, um, she was really into space. And, you know, and I mean, I, I shared her, her love of space. I love space. I do. <laughs> but I made a joke at one point about defunding NASA. And she looked so hurt. Like, it wasn't even like she was mad at me. But there was, she was like, what? Like, even just the mere joke of defunding NASA or getting rid of NASA, it was like her, her eyes looked like she had been hurt. And I'm not saying she equated NASA with space, but I I do see that in people. It sounds ridiculous until you actually look and you say that, yeah, that's actually... People have a very difficult time differentiating them. Their idea of space is dependent on this government institution that gives you a certain view of space. But it doesn't help you understand it. You know, because you can gain an understanding of space... And I mean, you can probably guess what I'm going to say by just sitting there and meditating. You can actually gain a greater understanding. I'm not going to say it's the only understanding. I'm not going to say that it even is a real understanding, but you can feel some sort of, I don't know. I mean, it's difficult. As you would expect, you can't even really put it into words. I guess the best way to put it would be like, you can feel a certain harmony with the idea of space just by sitting down with your eyes closed. Or sitting out, I mean, I had an experience being on a beach at night up on Whidbey Island. And I was looking at the stars, which were, you know, far more numerous and brighter than where I've lived closer to cities. And I felt a certain harmony with it then. I mean, people have throughout time. You know, people throughout time have always been drawn to the sky. The night sky in particular. Did some guy who only saw the sky from the ground and felt that connection, did he have less of a connection to space? Did a, did a guy who never had a telescope... Let's say this is thousands of years ago, and there's a guy just staring at the sky at night. Did he have less of a connection to space than somebody who's flown in a rocket up there? If you say yes, fuck you. I, I mean that, you know. If you think that having a connection with space requires you to shoot up into space in a rocket or go to the moon or send crazy crawling devices to Mars. If you think that makes your connection to space stronger than somebody who simply looks up at space from the ground, you're wrong. You don't need NASA. You don't need anything else. And I think it's easy to get distracted by that. It's easy to get distracted by our systems and our institutions. And I mean, another example of that, to bring it back to time, is just a calendar, the the Gregorian calendar, where your sense of time is based on that system. And that system is based on real phenomena. It's actually based on staring at the sky. People stared at the sky so much and noticed subtleties, about the way the sky changes seasonally, what that meant for the earth during that time, what that meant seasonally, people paid enough attention to the sky and the relationship it had to the environment around them on earth, that they developed a system that works very well and everybody uses it. Just mind-blowing. But that came just from staring at the sky. But that itself is not time. The calendar is not itself time. It, rather, a calendar is not time itself. It's an amazing way of channeling that natural phenomenon and allowing us to use it in a way that works for us because I don't have a problem with time. I like structure. I like a certain amount of structure. I think we're better off for following the same cal- uh, calendar, using the same months, using the same system of years. I mean, you can even just look at our the numbering system for our years and how bizarre it is where it's like the year is 2021. And you go back to the year zero. Zero. And then you start going into the negative years. You know, the, B, the BC. Like how unintuitive that system is. And imagine going back thousands and thousands of years and saying, you know, you guys are still 5,000 years away from the year zero. And I know there's a religious influence on all that, obviously. But, um... Just imagine going back and just trying to explain our current system to somebody who doesn't use it, and to tell them that they don't know what time is, because they're not using our calendar. But it's very easy, in the same way that somebody has a very difficult time separating space itself from NASA, we have a very difficult time separating time from our calendar, and all of our various systems that are used to measure time and track time. It doesn't mean it sucks. It doesn't mean the calendar sucks. It doesn't mean NASA sucks. But we should never equate those things with the thing itself. They are just a way of measuring it. And as I've explained probably recently, that's how I feel about the scientific method. That's how I feel about scientific inquiry. We should never mistake that system for what it's trying to approach for the subject that it's dealing with. But you can see, because we all follow this calendar, because we all track and measure time in the same way, it does something to the way we think. If you were to take somebody's calendar away, and I don't just mean their, their little, uh, I'm not talking about the calendar on their fridge, I'm saying if you took their entire sense of time away, like if you didn't allow somebody to know which day of the week it is, which day of the month it is, which month it is, somebody from our present civilization would be disoriented to the point of insanity. Insanity. Especially if they didn't deliberately do it. Like, if somebody chose to do that, that's different. That's like a spiritual exercise, an intellectual exercise, basically. Like, let me try this out. It's like trying, like, that's like not driving a car for a month. When I was growing up, this family I knew got a newspaper article written about them because they vowed to not use their cars for a month. I don't remember what came of it. But it was a big deal. It was like his family is not going to... They had a bunch of kids, and they're like, they're not going to use a car for a month. Let's write a newspaper article about it. That's when newspapers were good. They told you which families were took a vow of not driving for a month. But it's kind of like that. Like, if you purposely or or at least agreed to the the idea of not using a calendar for a month, not looking at a clock... You could somehow survive without that and you chose not to do it, just to test yourself or just to see what it was like. That's one thing. But if it was just all taken away from you, you would be disoriented to the point of insanity. And so going back to the way the internet is organized today, less chronologically, and in even some cases, completely non-chronologically, what does that do? It's not the same as taking somebody's calendar away, but it does change the way they look at things. It does change the way they process information. It changes how they view time, at least in an immediate sense. And I do wonder if we are seeing the effects of that now that it's been going on for a number of years. We might just be seeing the early stages of it, the beginning stages of it. But when a lot of the media you're consuming is not shown to you in linear fashion, that is going to change your perception of time itself, even in a small way. And, and changing your sense of time, even in a small way, is significant. But, uh, you know, I got to thinking, too, I don't think I've mentioned this before But I was thinking about it earlier today, because I've noticed more and more too, that it's not just that information is presented to you in a non-linear way. It's that when you see, instead of a date, for example, like normally if something is posted online and it's given some sort of date, it would have the actual date. It would say November 12th, 1998. It would say that on it. But I'm starting to see more and more, it'll just say posted a month ago, posted two days ago, posted two years ago, this very general, non-specific way of saying when something was first posted online. I know YouTube comments are this way, but I'm seeing it in a lot of different places actually. And so you see, it'll say a month ago. And interestingly, like this, what got me thinking about this is the other night I was watching a video and it said posted a month ago or a comment or something, a comment. And it said a month ago and I hovered over it and it was actually closer to two months ago. So it rounds down, but it gives you this non-specific time. And I'm not sure why they did that. Because like I was talking about with just the general organization of information, the early internet was chronological, but it was also very specific. Like if, if something was posted online, it gave you the date and time even in some cases. So they had to deliberately change it so that it just says now a month ago, two months ago, three years ago. And it turns out that's not just rounded up and down, it's highly generalized like what if something is a year and a half old? Do you say two years? Do you say one year? I've seen where it says one year. It's not accurate, though. And I'm not sure why they did that. But they had to make a deliberate decision to start organizing information that way. And why did they do that on purpose? What made sense about that? Why would you hide the date and time? Why would you make the date and time harder to figure out? Why would you want people thinking in month-long blocks? Don't you want it to be as specific as possible? And why did you change it from something that was highly specific to something that's very general? And I'm not asking this because I think there's anything completely nefarious about it. I do have questions. I mean, my mind does go there that there's some sort of plot going on, especially considering you that you see this trend between different companies. But I ha- it's just it's an honest question, though, why did we switch to that? In the same way, I wonder why did we steer away from chronological organization, chronological sorting? Why did we start referring to dates? in just these generalities. And it's not just when you see something posted. This happened to me too, not too long ago, where I was on a website doing a search. I wanted to find something on that site, and so I was doing a search for it. And the search parameters, though, because it used to be if you're doing a search, you'd give the start date. Like if you wanted to find something that happened in a specific set of time, it would allow you to set the start date and the end date. So if you knew the parameter, like if you're looking for something that happened between, you know, September 1961 and January 1962, you'd set it. You'd set those as the beginning and end date. It makes complete sense. That's how you would do it. But on this site that I was on recently, and this isn't the only site I've seen this with, but it just comes to mind. The parameters for searching based on time and date were today. You could search based on things that, that were posted today. Then the next setting was you could search based on the last three days, then the last week, then month, then three months, then a year, or then six months, then a year. So you could only search using that as the parameter. A day, three days, you know, uh, a week, a month, three months, six months, a year, very strange that you're forced to search within those parameters, that you can't just set your own. You know, because what if the thing you're looking for, if you know that it's between a certain set of dates? You just have to, and especially if it's older, and this is the, the craziest part of all, where if it's older than a year. That's everything that happened over a year ago. That is every single thing that happened over a year ago, which means that you, you can't go through the, you, you have to go through everything that happened before that. And I tried to see if there was some way around it and there wasn't. That is, that's a completely unintuitive, like it, it, on a user level, it doesn't even make sense. On a user level, it makes no sense to force people to search along those lines, but it fits with everything I'm talking about here. Like, and it's just kind of interesting that it's like you can search for things that happen within the last day and the last three days, which is going to include things from the last two days, of course, but what if you're only looking for something from the last two days? You can't choose that. What if you're only looking at something from the last two weeks? You have to choose either search in the last week, so your thing isn't going to show up there. The thing you're looking for isn't going to show up there, or within the month, which adds a whole lot of other information that you're going to have to sort through. And that's taken to the extreme by everything that's older than a year being pushed together with no way of separating it. That means you have to go through literally everything that's ever been posted. I'm just, it kind of blows my mind that this is the direction things went. And I wonder how much of it was just doing it because it seemed it was something to do. Like when I, when I had a job that was in tech, I found that a lot of the decisions that got made were from boredom. They're like, let's, let's make this different. And it was just because someone was bored or someone was trying to justify their job. They were trying to reinforce that they have things they have to do. Because that happens a lot in tech, both from my own experience as well as what I've heard from others, is that people are constantly having to come up with things to do to justify why they are employed there. Because if you're just focused on maintenance if, and, and the bottom line... There's very little to actually do. There's very little concrete work to actually do. I mean, customer service has a lot to do. You know, programmers can usually stay busy. But management in particular finds themselves with very little to do, so they have a lot of brainstorming sessions. And I wonder how much of that is what leads to, hey, you know what, instead of just using the time-honored system of displaying information as it appears... And including the date and time that it was published. Let's get rid of all that. Let's let's make it non-chronological. And instead of having the specific date. Let's just have it say a month ago. Whether it's three weeks. Whether it's a month and a half. It'll just say a month. And this has an effect on your brain. Because you know I used the example of. Not allowing you to use the calendar. Like if somebody said, oh, you don't get to use our calendar, you don't get to use any clocks for a month. How it would disorient, it would, it would make you mad. You'd probably go crazy, especially if you still had to do all of the things that you were expected to do. It's not that you were, oh, we're going to send you to a monastery where you're going to meditate and pray all day. Who cares about the calendar then? But it's like if you still had to go to work, if you still had to pick up your kids from school if you still had to go to stores when they were open before they closed, you know, not having a calendar and not having a clock would just screw your entire life up. And it's not that I'm saying that non-chronological information and removing the specificity, I think I said that right. I'll get it right. I think it was right. I'll get it right. I think it was right. No, but it's, it's not that that has as immediate of an effect on people As simply removing those things entirely, or removing a calendar, removing uh, clocks from their life. It's not that it has as immediate of an effect, as severe of an effect. But it's going to creep in. Some sort of influence is going to creep in. We are very sensitive creatures. And so maybe a better comparison would be if you just change something about the calendar... Not if you remove the calendar from someone's life entirely. But let's say you added an extra day to every other month. I mean, we already deal with that with uh, leap years. Which is confusing enough. You know, I bet the average person doesn't know that it's leap year until they get to February. Is it February? I think it's February has an extra day. But most people just kind of figure it out as they go along. You know, there are people who are insane, who know when it's leap year, (laughs) you know, who could, oh, you know, this is a leap year in January, they know that it's going to be a leap year. I guess January isn't far away from February, but they just know, they kind of have an idea of every four years, it's leap year, I keep track in my head. You know, I've never had any idea. I just randomly find out on a given year, whether February has an extra day or not. But that alone messes with people's heads. You know, just the fact that we add an extra day every four years messes with people's heads. So what if one year we we're just like every other month is going to have a leap day? We're going to add an extra day to every other month. Or even crazier, January is going to have an extra day, February is going to have an extra day, March isn't, April is you know, May isn't, June is, July is, like if we just kind of randomly threw new days into each month, that would have a drastic effect on people. Even though that's not that big of a deal, we would adapt to it. But it would change our understanding of our own calendar. It would change our relationship to time. So maybe someone would think I'm making a big deal out of nothing, but We are sensitive creatures and the smallest changes to our routine can set us off immensely. I mean, it's true for dogs. It's true for pets if you have them. Like if you have a pet who's used to being fed at the same time every day, they're disturbed if you don't feed them right then and they'll be waiting. I've heard the same is true for babies. Because it turns out babies don't know the calendar yet. Babies don't know what time is but I've heard that if you're a new mother, and I have a lot of advice for new mothers, I can, I'm going to tell you all about what you should do, how to raise a child. No, but I, I have heard that if a new mother breastfeeds a baby at a certain time of day, that that baby starts to know that that's the time it gets fed, just like a pet. And that if you stop doing that, or you disrupt the baby's feeding schedule, you got a feeding schedule for that baby? But you know, if you disrupt the baby's feeding schedule, I've heard that it can actually have pretty significant repercussions. And they've even correlated it with certain psychological issues. I'm not kidding. A baby whose routine is disrupted. So that baby has their own sense of time. And so if you can disrupt a baby's, you know, if you can cause a baby significant psychological distress, or at least confusion, and distress and confusion often go hand in hand. But if you can cause a baby to be confused and distressed, just by not feeding it, when you normally do. Think about all of the subtle ways that the internet, for example, and the way that it's changed your perception of time, the way that it's changed the organization, uh, the organization of information, you know, think about the effect that that could potentially have on you. Not that you're a baby sitting there being like, I thought I was supposed to get fed right now. But when you look at a social media or feed, feed, see, I knew what I was, I know what I'm talking about. You look at your social media or feed, a baby has a feeding time. But, uh, you know, you look at it and you don't know exactly what order it's in. And on top of that, if it's sorted by top or popular, you see that it's not perfectly organized by that either. Like, I think everybody's had the experience of going to a site that lists things in order of what's hot. I know the Reddit abyss has a way you can sort things by what's hot. How do they measure that? I mean, I can imagine like, oh, this is something that's had this much interaction in this small window of time. That makes it hot. I don't know that that's what it's based on, though. We have to assume. And I think that's the problem with a lot of these new ways of organizing and ordering information is we have to kind of assume what they're doing. And what we can't assume we tend to say, oh, that's the algorithm. It's just the algorithm. An algorithm has somehow become a household word in the last decade where where you will hear people who are in their 70s who barely even use computers, people in their 70s who went from watching TV all the time, never using computers, to suddenly being on the Internet all the time on their phones, And they'll be like, oh, it's just the algorithms. It's these algorithms. Because people talk about that on TV. The news talks about algorithms. Nobody actually understands what an algorithm is. But they assign it this almost supernatural ability to organize information. But everybody's had the experience of, like, clicking on something that's supposed to be the hot list... This is the hot list, and it doesn't seem hot, or you'll sort something by popular or top, and something very popular will come up, but then you'll see something right below it that has very little interaction, something that has no comments, very few likes. I noticed this on Facebook in particular. Facebook's system seems to be the worst. Theirs is the most chaotic, and I don't don't hate Facebook like people do. Like, a lot of people give Facebook the most flack. I don't hate it. I actually think it's the best system overall. Like, in terms of its actual mechanism, I think it's kind of the perfect combination of different different functions that were separate on the old internet. Like, it's kind of become the new AOL, like I've said before, where it's got AOL Instant Messenger built in, it's got email built in, You can see other people's profiles, which AOL had. But then it adds this blog element. I don't think there's anything wrong with any of that. But Facebook gets a lot of flack, I think in part because it's the place where you're guaranteed to interact with the highest number of people you've known throughout your entire life. The highest number of people that you know in person. And not just that, but you're more likely to see them express themselves at length because it allows you to say a lot. I can understand why people criticize Facebook, for sure. I just don't see it. I don't hate it. But what does bother me about it is it seems to be the worst in terms of the way information is organized, the way information is sorted and ordered. It seems to me to be the most chaotic. But I do get that experience on pretty much every platform that I check out, even ones I don't use, even sites like Reddit that I avoid looking at, I'm very interested in their mechanism for all the reasons that I'm talking about here, which I'm interested in the mechanism, the way they sort information because of the impact it has on how we think. And I have noticed, and yeah, this is my own anecdote, but I believe other people can confirm it. I have friends who definitely support what I'm saying. They agree. I've spoken to them about it over the last couple of years, which is that, people seem to have lost some of their sense of time. Their brains seem to go through these resets like we saw in 2016, like we saw in 2020. And I wonder how much of this has influenced that. I wouldn't be able to break it down, I wouldn't be able to measure it. I do have a sense for it, though. And right now I simply have questions. And I don't see anybody talking about it. I'd actually, in all of the countless, repetitive, unoriginal criticisms of social media that I make it a point to rebel against, not just for the sake of rebelling against them, but because I think they're looking at a symptom rather than the root cause. And the root cause is us. Everything that is wrong with social media or is what is wrong with us already. And it happens in social groups. It actually happens every time you get a lot of people together. Working in an office is like being on social media. If you work in an office, it is like being on social media, where you're in this enclosed space where everybody's words impact you, everybody's mood, everybody's personalities impact you. And that's on top of the fact that drama happens, people disagree, there's tension, there's jealousy, People hate each other for petty reasons. People also form bonds. They also relate. You know, it's not all bad. But all of these negative symptoms that you see on social media, or you'll experience those in a group of friends. If you've ever been part of a very close-knit group of friends, all of this stuff plays out among them, too. And with the prevalence of social media or in the last decade, all of these things intersect where social media or has an impact on what goes on in the office if you're connected to co-workers on social media. And I've, I've personally experienced that. The same is true for a group of friends who are all on social media, on top of the fact that they're in this insular group of people who are going to exhibit some of the same patterns of behavior you do see online. But again, these are all symptoms. I wouldn't say that being part of an insular group of friends causes this. I wouldn't say that working in an office causes this. I wouldn't say that social media causes this. Social media has created bigger issues because you're connected to a lot more people than you've ever been before. So all of those same symptoms are playing out, but between a larger group of people. Many of them you know, a lot of them you don't know. And so I've seen all of these criticisms of social media, which are valid, but I think sometimes short-sighted. But I've never seen anybody address the issue of chronology and the way that many large companies pulled away from chronology while also making specific dates more generalized and more vague. A month ago, posted a month ago, published a month ago. I hope someone does a study on it. I hope that one of these people who takes our money so they can find out what we already know, so they can find out that crows have consciousness. That's my go-to. If you've been listening to this show in the last year, that's my go-to whenever this comes up. But just the idea that they had to do a study to find out that crows experience reflective thought. And consciousness. That's something that I already knew. That's something that all kinds of pagan people knew. Native Americans, you know, so much Native American lore, at least where I grew up in the Pacific Northwest, centers around crows and ravens. And they're often personified, they're conscious And it's like, oh, look at those, oh, man, look at those uh, quaint people with their, oh, they think that ravens have personalities. They think crows actually have some sort of spiritual significance. That's so silly. And then you see where in Norse mythology, Odin has his ravens. It's Corvids, I think is what they're called. I think that's the larger species name that ravens and crows belong to. But they had to do a scientific study and spend who knows how much money that could have been given to poor people or given to something else, some sort of, that could have been used on infrastructure, could have been used for something to party with. Who cares? It doesn't even even have to be something beneficial. They could have partied with that money. But they had to spend a ton of money and time to figure out what ancient people already knew. About crows, corvids, ravens. And this was on my mind again recently because Well, in the same day, I was I was on a walk and I I heard I was I was walking batty and I heard the sound of heavy wings, large, heavy wings beating right above me. And it was not the sound of crow wings. And I looked up and it was a raven, it was a big raven, because I have ravens who live around my house. And it was a. You normally only hear them, though, because they croak. They don't caw. That's a big difference, is that crows caw. Ravens croak. It's kind of. You can hear it reverberating inside of them, too. They let out this low croak. And I know that ravens can also mimic other creatures, they can mimic crows, which is fascinating. But ravens, they naturally make this kind of croak. But anyway, this. I I don't normally see them, and I hear this heavy beating of wings, large wings, and I see this giant raven flying overhead, and it has something dead in its mouth. I couldn't tell if it was a rat, maybe a a small mole. Couldn't tell what it was, but it was at least the size of a rat. And I've, I've read that ravens are scavengers, like vultures, where they go after dead things. And there are some old stories where ravens are portrayed as very morbid sick and ominous creatures I read a fantasy novel where ravens play this symbolic role and they're and they're they're portrayed to be these nasty death-seeking scavengers but I've never experienced that myself I've never associated crows or ravens with with going after dead animals. I've never, in, in all these years, my entire life of seeing crows and ravens around, I've never seen them show any interest in a dead animal. But I see this raven flying overhead with something dead in its mouth, and I was like, well, I guess the, the rumors are true. I guess ravens do like dead things. And then in a synchronicity, later that day I was walking by myself, and I turned a corner and I startled two crows who were picking at a dead rat. And this is in a different part of town. It wasn't, it'd be interesting if that raven that had the dead thing in its mouth had dropped this, and maybe it did. I don't know. They, they can fly all over. But it was quite a, a ways away from where I saw that raven. But I come across a, two crows picking at a dead rat. So on the same day, I'd never seen this before. I'd only heard rumors, I'd only heard the gossip that Corvids like dead things. And on the same day, I saw two different species of corvids with dead things. And then just to add to the synchronicity, I think it was either the day before that, it was right around, the, it might, honestly, it could even have been the same day. It might have it been later that night now that I think about it. But it was within a couple days, I was doing some reading and I came across this passage about how there was some island somewhere, I don't remember where, but there was some other form of corvid there. I think it was a form of crow. It was a black bird, a black bird. No, it was something closely related to ravens and crows in the corvid category. And it was talking about how they have these large meetings. And representatives, because there's different groups. I don't know if you call them murders. People always joke about how a group of crows is called a, called a murder, I don't know what you would call, basically a tribe of crows. There's different parts of this island, and there's crows in each part, and each of these crows have their own tribe. But there would be these big meetings, these island meetings, and each tribe would send crows to this meeting. And how somebody actually observed what appeared to be almost like a trial where there were several, it appeared to be several crows on trial. I mean, this all could have been bogus, I don't know. But I'll get to why I don't think so in a second. And so this person who was observing these realized that the different tribes of crows sent representatives. There seemed to be a senior class of crows presiding over this meeting, and there were several crows that seemed to have been on trial, like as if they had done something wrong. That We can only imagine what crow laws are like, you know. But there were a ton of crows at this meeting, and it's just very fascinating for me to read that, because when I first moved to Olympia, there was this development being built about, God, not even, not even a quarter mile from my house. And so I would go by it all the time. And they hadn't built the houses. All they had done is cleared some trees. So there was basically this giant dirt, you know, not like a clearing, but it was huge. Like you can imagine, they're going to build an entire development of houses there. So there's this just giant clearing of just dirt and mud. And I had noticed crows there before, but there was one day I was going by it. Actually, you know, no, before I even passed it, I was by my house and I noticed that there were so many crows in the sky I couldn't even fathom it. I'm not going to say the sky was black with crows. There were more crows in the sky than I've ever seen anywhere ever. And they were loud. They were coming from all directions. And they were all seemingly going to the same area. And I just thought, that's strange. That's a lot of crows. What's going on? So I go by this big dirt clearing where this development of houses is going to be built. And I see that the dirt is just black with crows all of these crows that i'd seen flying through the air had gone to the same place and it's it's deafening they were all talking and they were coming from all directions you could see stragglers coming there was no end in sight though i mean i'm not exaggerating there were hundreds of crows hundreds Like, I don't think I'd be exaggerating to say there could have been a thousand. But I wasn't counting. There were hundreds of crows coming to this same spot. And it was, you could tell they were different flocks. They were different tribes. Because they were coming from all different directions, indicating they were coming from all over town, maybe. I don't know if they were having an underworld trial. But it seemed formal. It seemed like some sort of message had gone out bringing all of the crows to this one place. And I never forgot it. And then when I was reading about this island where crows from all over the island sent representatives and conducted what appeared to be some sort of formal crow meeting. And I was like, I've seen that, man. (laughs) I've seen that, man. So I believe it. I do believe it. I mean, I walked up on a crow funeral once. I have part of it on videotape on my phone somewhere. Where I was going on a walk and I was in a suburban neighborhood. And I came upon a street and the power lines were just... There were crows lined up like neck to neck. Just across these power lines. And they were all making a ton of noise. Directly below them was a dead crow laying on its back. They were all directly over a dead crow. And it didn't look like it had just died. Like it wasn't rotting or anything. It could have died earlier that day. But just you could tell it was starting to kind of dry out. Like you could tell it had been dead for at least all day, if not a couple days. But these crows had gathered, and they were just, they were looking down at their dead fellow crowmen... And they were just cawing. And there was something, you know, maybe this is me, you know, maybe I'm doing some, what What do you call it, like anthropomorph, anthropomorphizing, personifying, I don't know. I think personification, is, is that when you do it with an object or an animal? I don't know. I know. I know an object can be personified. Whatever the word I'm looking for is, it's one of those or it's something similar. But I got this feeling, I might have been projecting, I guess is what I'm saying, but something seemed very solemn about it as you would expect from a crow funeral like even though they were cawing i got this sense that they were grieving that this was perhaps a friend of theirs and it wasn't random they were there were power lines stretching all over the place they could have been anywhere up and down this long street but they had they were concentrated on the power lines directly above like almost centered above this dead crow so Did I need a study in 2020 to tell me that crows have consciousness? Did I need a study in 2020 to tell me that crows have thought, reflective thought? I didn't. Turns out ancient people didn't need that either. You know, my sister was part of this wilderness group, this naturalist group, when she was a teenager and in her early 20s. And I ended up spending a lot lot of time with this group through that. And guess what? They talked about crows and ravens all the time. I mean, it was sort of... This wasn't a cult or anything. It was a wilderness school. And they taught people how to track and how to survive in nature. Everyone was a hippie. You know, it was a hippie group. A lot of them lived together on the same kind of compound. It really wasn't a cult, though, because it was very focused on... Naturalism, but they had kind of this animist approach, and the leader of it the the guy who started the school, who I got to know fairly well, I actually learned quite a bit from him and he had been trained by I think a famous tracker, I think his name was Tom Brown. He was a protege of Tom Brown as well as some Native Americans, just different people. This guy had obviously devoted himself to this and he was sharing his knowledge. But he he was he was obsessed with ravens and crows, and he would tell a lot of stories about them, specifically their intelligence. And he told us a story once, and I think this was taken from a native tribe. But it involved a guy who was out in the woods, and a raven started following him. And it kept trying to get his attention. And so he realized that it was trying to get him to follow it. And so he followed this raven for a while. And it eventually led him to a tree, and it was kind of gesturing toward a hole in this tree. And it turned out there was honeycomb. And so the guy reached in, and he got the honeycomb out and shared it with the raven. And he understood that the raven was leading him to this specific tree, because the raven couldn't get to the honeycomb, but it knew the guy could. And so it led this guy to this tree. And he in turn repaid the favor by sharing someone with the raven, and then he later encountered that raven, and the, and the raven remembered him. It was like they formed friendship through that, and it, it kind of reminded me of like some stories that I've heard about the evolution of trade in human beings. I've heard like I don't obviously there's no way to confirm it. But I know that the people have speculated that the initial trading among humans may have been a human being setting something in a certain location that they were willing to give to another tribe or another person and kind of hiding and watching it. I don't know where they got this, but I like the visual and hiding and like watching this object they're looking to get rid of or this maybe food probably, you know, probably something practical, something useful and then seeing and then watching and seeing somebody else get it, and take it, and then coming back to that spot to see if that person in turn left something there. You know, I don't know, maybe people traded face to face. I'm sure trade, I mean, trading obviously occurs naturally. I'm sure it happened in any number of ways. I think that human beings and animals for that matter, just intuitively figured out the system of trading. Like you didn't need to be taught trading. It didn't. Somebody didn't need to travel around the entire world teaching everybody how to trade. I think it's just something intuitive. Oh, I have this. You have this. Let's exchange it. Let's exchange resources. But the idea of like somebody setting that resource in a spot, observing that spot to see if somebody takes the resource... And then when that person does, and replaces it with a resource, you now have a relationship. You now have have trust. You know, that's fascinating to me, and it reminds me of the raven. Where the raven led this guy to a tree, even if this is folklore. It's not unrealistic. That the raven could have led a guy to this tree, so that this guy would take the honeycomb out. Therefore, the raven got some of this honeycomb that it wanted, the guy got the honeycomb, and now there, there's a relationship there. And in that story, the guy continued to interact with this raven. And there was nothing mythological about it. It wasn't like the raven talked. The way this story was told to me was just as if the raven was any bird. But we do know they're aware And if you're aware, if you yourself are aware, you would figure that out. You would recognize that, oh, there's something going on with ravens and crows. They get drunk. Crows get drunk. I know that's something the other birds do as well, where they seek out fermented berries and they get drunk. At my childhood house, there was this tree across the street where tons of small birds would hang out. An entire flock of tiny birds would hang out there. And it must have been that tree or another one nearby. But this tree would produce berries that I guess would get fermented. I don't know anything about that. But they would get drunk and you would just hear this tree. It was so loud. They were so drunk and loud. And then when I moved down here to Olympia, this is some years back, I heard a commotion on my roof it sounded like just tons of animals just kind of like throwing themselves at my roof and just making a complete racket. And, you know, yeah, sometimes you hear an animal on your roof. Sometimes you hear a squirrel. Sometimes you hear a bird. Birds sometimes hang out on your roof. But this was a racket. And I couldn't figure it out. I couldn't see up there. I couldn't see where they were. And then I, I look across the street, and they all of these crows, an entire group of crows really like recklessly flies over to my neighbor's house and they land on her roof and they're like falling off the roof. None of them got hurt. Okay. But they're like, none of them got hurt. This is a, this is a nice story. No, but they were like, like falling off the roof. They were like falling onto their backs. They were flying up in the air. They were almost wrestling. It almost looked like they were wrestling around with each other. And I realized those crows are drunk. And I've heard about that. I've heard about crows. It's not just that they randomly eat berries. I've heard that they actually know which berries will get them drunk and seek them out. And so this group of drunk crows were just going from rooftop to rooftop, just throwing themselves around, wrestling, and once again, this loud racket of cause, C-A-W-S. So they get drunk, and they're, they're conscious. They probably get drunk because they're so damn aware, like us. You know, when I used to drink, I like one of the big reasons why I like to get blackout drunk, I mean, I guess I didn't, I never planned to get blackout drunk, but the reason why I would drink to the point of blacking out so much was in part to be less aware. Because I live a life of sharp awareness and it can be too much. So the idea of getting drunk to that point was attractive to me. This isn't some psych 101. Oh, this is the only reason I—I I found the reason I got drunk so much. Uh, you know, I'm not even trying to say that, but I do know that that was a subconscious motivation for me. I knew it at the time, but I especially know it now. Where I was like, oh yeah, that was a way for me to shut my brain off. Because I don't always like what my brain is doing. I don't always like being aware. I don't always like noticing everything. I don't always like being hypervigilant. And at that time, you know, my entire thinking was much unhealthier too. So it's not just that I was aware of everything. I was aware of everything and I was ultra cynical and negative. And so it makes complete sense to me why I wanted to shut my brain off all the time. And now that I don't drink, I'm still painfully aware of every little thing, at least a lot of the time. But my outlook isn't necessarily that negative. My outlook isn't nearly as cynical. So I think it's easier to deal with having a certain level of awareness. I don't need to shut my brain off. But it makes complete sense to me that crows, with their funerals, with their underworld trials that include representatives from all over the area, that sounds like a recipe for, hey, let's get drunk. Makes complete sense to me. I wonder how crows measure time. If they're conscious, they must have some sense of time. If they mourn the dead, there must be something to it. I know apes do that. I saw photos of an ape funeral. It was a gorilla funeral. See, I don't even know the difference. Ape, gorilla, baboon, monkey. It's all the same thing to me, man. All the same thing to me, man. It was a, I believe it was a gorilla funeral though that I saw. And the mother of one of the gorillas died. And the the caretakers, this was, I believe, in captivity. And all of the gorillas gathered around and they were mourning. And the sun was right at the middle. I cried when I saw this is before my mom died. And I think you know what actually that I was more sensitive to that kind of thing before my mom died. Like, I was more worried about my mom. Like, like, I was under more distress when I used to worry about my mom dying than I was after my mom died, which makes complete sense now that I know it. Now that I know what having your beloved parent die is like, it makes sense that it would feel more manageable in some way, given that I've been through it. I know what it is it's not an unknown to me. So it makes sense to me that I used to be more emotionally impacted when someone's mom died, or when I saw like a mother son relationship. And it was just beautifully displayed with these gorillas, where the son of this old female gorilla was right at the center of this group that seemed to be, you know, you can call it a funeral, but it's like, what else do you need to make a funeral other than a dead body and a group? You don't need a casket, right? Those crows that I saw, they were having a funeral, and all they needed was a dead body and a group. So even though we decorate our funerals more, it doesn't change what a funeral actually is. And so seeing these gorillas do what those crows did, what we do, very interesting. But I do wonder about, you know, their sense of time, too, because if they're conscious, I just just wonder how they, if they're able to reflect on chronology at all. I'm not saying there's a crow calendar, but I'm not saying there isn't. Because I even just wonder, like, if it's true that they were able to get representatives from the different crow groups throughout this entire island, they had to send somebody out to, they had to send messengers out. Hey, we're having a meeting. It's like in Lord of the Rings when the ants have their meeting. They have to get all these ants from different parts of Middle Earth to come congregate. But I think that's just intuitive. You know, I think that that is intuitive, the idea of... Because, I mean, it even reminded me of these mafia trials in the 1920s. I mean, actually, as far back as the early 1900s. The Mafia was highly organized on a national level, international even, and they would have what they called Assemblia Generale. assembly Generale. I don't know how to pronounce that, but it translates to General Assembly. They would have what they called a General Assembly... And representatives of the mafia from all over the country would go there. You'd have a representative from Buffalo, a representative from Cleveland, usually multiple representatives from New York, representatives from the West Coast, from California. And a message would go out saying, we're going to have an underworld meeting. And it was often a trial. Somebody was often pleading for their life because they'd been accused of some sort of infraction but they sent representatives and they had senior leaders and so the idea that crows do that too is amazing especially because and this is, speaking of my mom when i was a kid my mom would always say crows are like gangsters they just remind me of a bunch of gangsters cuz they're sneaky you always think of them doing things you always think of them getting into things they always look like they're up to something they're kind of like the bird raccoon you know i was talking about raccoons last week how raccoons form packs They're kind of like these little criminal gangs. And I I kind of see crows as the bird version of raccoons. But crows kind of act like gangsters. They kind of look like gangsters. And just like the mafia, they apparently have their own meetings where representatives attend, where there's crow business to discuss. So that's not just a human trait. It seems if you are a biological entity... And you operate within a group that you follow many of the same patterns. And that's true whether we observe it or not. And I guess that's kind of a way to tie this all the way back around to the beginning, which is space exists whether NASA is there to take high-powered telescopic photographs or not. Time exists, maybe not in the same way that we measure it, but time exists, things change. There is a pattern, there are seasons. The sky shifts. You know, so time in some form exists whether we have a calendar or a clock tracking it or not. Animals have consciousness. Animals can be highly organized, whether we are there to study them or not, whether we're there to say, oh, we've determined that they can experience reflective thought. That happens whether we observe it or not. And that's something, something to keep in mind. When you find yourself, when you find your emotions completely attached to these institutions, to these artifices, even if they're meaningful and necessary, even if we need them, you don't want to be too attached to them. You don't want your life to feel like it depends on them, your consciousness You don't want to feel like your consciousness, your awareness, your experience in the world depends on these institutions. You don't have to be an astronaut to have a relationship with space. You don't have to experience time using the systems that are given to us, that are forced upon us for measuring time. You don't need a study to tell you that crows sometimes behave not unlike human beings. And I think sometimes recognizing that all of this exists regardless of the systems that we impose on them or use, not even impose, let's get away from the negative, you know, all of these things exist outside of the systems we use to interact with them. That can make you go crazy to think about. That's what some people experience when they take too much psychedelics. That's what happens to some people when they go through a spiritual crisis or they have a spiritual epiphany. Some people find it very difficult to handle, especially if they're hit with it all at once. But as a general exercise, if you make it a point to separate yourself from these systems... do it in subtle and small ways and be aware of it. I think that can make your interaction with the world that much more intimate, that much more harmonious. And dare I say that much more real.